Hello, and welcome to Scanet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode, in which you get summaries and discussion of some of last week's most interesting AI news. I am Dr. Sharon Joe, And I am Andrei Kronikov. And this week, we'll discuss some robots for cleaning up beaches and keeping up uh, beehives, some research on malware in AI and translation in different languages, and some more on facial recognition and bias, as we often do. Let's dive straight in. And first up on the application side, we have our first news story titled Meet Beachbot, a beach rover that uses AI to remove cigarette butts from beaches. So pretty much as the title says, there's a cute little robot. It's about a meter wide and about a meter tall and has these big uh, bumpy um, wheels and it drives around and uses computer vision to detect cigarettes and pick them up and move them away from the beach. So it's, it's a fairly simple robot. It just has these two cameras uh, and was built by these two entrepreneurs, Edwin Boss and Marcie Lacarte and has been demonstrated once and is gonna be demonstrated again. So, you know, not a huge deal, not gonna change the world, but it's it's a neat project and certainly a, a useful application for cleaning up beaches. I think it's very cute. And there is a lot of, I guess, beach pollution and beach trash. And this is kind of the start of grabbing some cigarette butts. And I imagine they're gonna start cleaning more fully. Um, they're very small, like the, it, the the beach bots um and they're pretty cute um kind of roaming around a beach uh, and i can see i can see beach cleaning being kind of the the type of task um we're open to automating especially since a lot of beaches are not that clean um yeah Exactly. Yeah. I found it interesting uh, right after this news story about BeachBot, uh, about a few days later, a week later, there was a second news story about this beach cleaning BeeBot <laughs> that is a bit bigger and is more like a tractor uh, that trails this, this thing behind it and is, isn't autonomous. It, it's remote controlled, but it has a similar function and is a bit more kind of uh, bulky and industrial looking. So interesting to see how you can, you know, engineer different solutions for the same problem and have, you know, different uh, types of automation that can attack this problem. Yeah, definitely. And to be clear, it is, uh, it is remotely controlled by a human operator, the VBOT. And um, what's cool is that it is partially operated or powered by solar, which makes sense because it's on a beach. Um, yeah, so trying to keep everything clean, including the energy. And on to our next article from Forbes. Here is a fully autonomous AI-powered beehive that could save bee colonies. All right, so beehives um, are um, pretty hard to uh, maintain. And so um, BeeWise is an ag tech startup that was created to create this fully autonomous beehive that is uh you know, AI powered and um, basically is a beekeeping robot um, and it can uh, help help the bees um, be maintained all the way by itself. Um, and it's raised a $38.7 million, uh, in funding to date, which is pretty exciting. Um, and this is just such an important area. Um, bees have not been doing super well uh, worldwide, but we need them very much. Um, and so this is uh, super exciting. And again, this is uh, entirely solar powered. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty interesting. You look at it, it looks like a really big sort of storage cabinet, sort of, um, and has a little door on it. And it can manage uh, 24 hives at a time, which means uh, each hive has 30 honeycombs uh, with uh, 720 in each device. So that's one to two million bees in total for one of these. And it has kind of a variety of different AI things going on. So it has a lot of information collection as to how well the bees are doing. And it has some robotic components that uh, allow intervention to improve things. And uh, they say it reduces bee mortality by 80%, which increases yields a bunch and reduces uh, 90% of manual labor. So beekeepers can use this to augment their work and basically do a better job to to make up for right now this, there's this big issue of like 35% mortality rate. So it does seem you know like a really really useful application of AI. Yeah, I think it's extremely exciting. I've visited a bee farm before and it is a lot of manual labor. Um, you can tell. <laughs> yeah, especially for these industrial ones, you know, like individual beekeepers maybe are fine, but when you're getting to this large scale, it, it can get pretty tricky and you need, you know, tens of beekeepers and a lot of labor. So it definitely uh, seems like a, a useful problem to address. And like they, uh, they seem to be doing a, a smart job of it. Not just like, you know, marketing themselves at AI when it's something simple. And on to discussing some research, we have researchers demonstrate that malware can be hidden inside AI models. So there's this fun, uh, fun titled paper called Evil Model, Hiding Malware Inside of Neural Network Models. And this was published recently and basically is showing that you can do a form of stenography or a form of, stegono a form of st steganography. <laughs> And it shows that you can do a form of steganography, which is a way of hiding uh, messages inside of different uh, materials. So you can do this with photographs, and now you can do it with neural networks by basically using some of the uh, weights in the network to encode the malware. So they demonstrated that you can use one of the classic models of AlexNet, uh, and you can have it still perform its function while altering it uh, to encode malware in its content. So you can encode like out of a 180, out of 180 megabytes worth of model, you can put in 40 megabytes of malware and it still does its job about the same. This is obviously a big issue. We can hide uh, a lot of problems inside our neural networks, uh, especially as more and more neural networks are being deployed. So. Uh, not great, um, and hopefully um, we we find ways to beat this at the cat mouse game of security. Yeah, uh, the, and they did show that you know antivirus programs couldn't detect the virus, which I guess isn't surprising. The good thing is um, this only shows a way to en encode the virus; it doesn't execute the virus until you decode it. So not. Not the most threatening kind of demonstration, but it does show, I guess, how you can hide things of neural nets. And uh, I could see stuff like this being built upon in interesting ways. Right, right. It could make it easier to just get the malware there and then something else could trigger an executable. 
And onto our next article, Facebook AI releases Vox Populi, a large-scale open multilingual speech corpus for AI translations in NLP systems. And this is from Mark Tech Post. Uh, so basically, Facebook released this data set called Vox Populi, which means voice of the people in Latin. Um, and it's a collection of audio recordings in 23 different languages, um, which amounts to 400,000 hours uh, of speech. Um, this is to help with the development of new NLP systems, specifically in speech and audio, uh, which is, I think, pretty big in the sense that like we don't have as many you know nice audio uh, and speech data sets. Uh, and a lot of these uh, were basically all these, this data was taken from publicly available European Parliament event recordings. Um, and they just basically uh, built out the pipeline to segment them by speaker or whether there were silences and clean up that data into a nice data set. Yeah, exactly. This is cool because uh, speech uh, datasets in particular are pretty rare still and mostly are for English. Uh, so here there's 23 different languages, and uh, it's interesting. They actually used all available speeches between 2009 and 2020 of the parliament discussions. Uh, so a uh, lot of data, as you can imagine. And they also demonstrated that uh, you can, you know, not just to target new languages, but using self-supervised training uh, on the unlabeled data, you can pre-train a model and then fine tune it for better results. So yeah, really need to have this data set uh, in a space where there's not that many public data sets yet. And on to some more societal facing AI problems or ethical problems we have. China built the world's first or we have China built the world's largest facial recognition system. Now it's getting camera shy. So um, this is from Washington Post and a slightly misleading title. Uh, this is generally about how there's been a recent uh, crackdown on use of facial recognition by private businesses in, in China, not so much the government itself. And this came about because Guo Bing, a law professor in the Chinese city of Hangzhou, uh, paid for an annual pass to a zoo. And then later the zoo told him that he would be required to have his uh, face scanned in order to enter. And then that, this seemed you know, un unreasonable. So this professor uh, sued the zoo in 2019, and then the legal process took some time. But just uh, this last week, there was a ruling that basically um, cracked down on use of facial recognition by private businesses, such as the zoo and, and other things like hotels and shopping malls and, and so on, which is pretty interesting given that, you know, the perception is and reality to some extent is that facial recognition is pretty commonplace in China. Yeah, so basically it's not the government's facial recognition going away. It's like the commercial company's facial recognition that requires consent from customers um, for them to acquire that information for themselves. And I think this is still aligned with uh, how the Chinese government really works and wants to make sure that while they can retain you know, the power over facial recognition and use that for both you know, security surveillance purposes, uh, companies can't really. And they are worried, actually, that companies who do um, get that information can actually 
leak it overseas or like something something would happen uh, with that data as well. Uh, and this is just one of many uh, things that have been part of this uh, kind of uh, big tech takedown, not, not quite takedown, but like itching away at like different things um, around tech uh, in, in Beijing in particular. Um, so that includes uh, things with the Ant Group, um, with Didi, and uh, the uh, for-profit tutoring services that they've that they've had. They basically have been probably rethinking how they want to um, want tech to be be part of their whole system and country. Right. Yeah. So this builds upon this trend or the series of events that happened. I think uh, over the past few months of a sort of. Um, the government displaying its power. And, and this is sort of building upon that trend, but in particular respect to facial recognition. So yeah, the ruling is set to go into effect on August 1st. So I guess it already has. And uh, basically now all these kind of private businesses uh, must get consent as opposed to imposing it. And the use of technology cannot exceed what is necessary. So it seems pretty sensible uh, for us here in the U.S. where we don't have that sort of regulation yet, uh, interestingly. Uh, But yeah, interesting development for sure. I think what's interesting is that they, like on the commercial side, it feels like consumers are almost aligned and very much operate very similarly. Um, But when it comes to uh, interfacing with the government, it is very, very different. But with with commercial businesses, it's totally the same. Like this professor, you know, who said this was unreasonable. I could see that happening here. Exactly. Yeah. And our next article is titled Twitter announces first algorithmic bias bounty challenge is from ZDNet. So last week, Twitter uh, actually announced a bounty. Um, uh, so cash prizes, um, five of them ranging from $500 to $3,500. Um, uh, and this is, you know, uh, open between just two days. So August 6th and 8th. Um for people to demonstrate um, potential harms um, an algorithm uh, could have. And specifically, the algorithm that they're talking about here is one that we've already touched on, which is um, the cropping of an image and figuring out, you know, what are the salient parts of an image and where should we automatically crop things? And so people have already crowdsourced, obviously, a little bit of um, what, what kind of bias there was. Twitter themselves already did a deep dive on, you know, the statistics of uh, how you know, how different, you know, breakdowns of race, gender um, come out from the cropping algorithm. But now they are uh, kind of opening this up a bit more um, to have uh, people actually find those potential harms and get prizes for them. Yeah. And this is interesting because this is, uh, you know, 
a bias bounty challenge, which is similar to bug bounties, which has been common in computer science for a long time. And this is being done at the DEF CON AI village. So DEF CON is the world's longest running and largest underground hacking conference. And the AI village is part of that, that uh, works to educate the world on the use and abuse of AI and security and privacy. So this idea of having like a, a bounty for finding bias in algorithms is is pretty interesting and does draw on this analogy of finding bugs in software, which has been pretty successful in terms of paying people to find these bugs and be paid for it by disclosing that there are these problems. So you could see kind of a parallel of finding bias in models and disclosing it. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting idea and it'll be an interesting experiment and possibly could be a model for you know dealing with bias and finding bias in the future. And on to our last hilarious article, uh, say hello to the Tokyo Olympic robots from NPR. Uh, so if you've been tuning into the Olympics, you might have noticed a couple of cute little mascot robots uh, that are greeting uh, <laughs> greeting people. Um, and you might have also seen um, a robot that is helping pick up the different balls on the field. Yeah, so uh, this is just kind of cute and fun. Uh, so the mascots themselves, I have been watching the Olympics, so I was pretty happy to see that they're little robots. Uh, and, you know, they actually have uh, automated versions of them that can do different movements and have these like anime eyes, which are pretty great. And then on top of that, they have some more kind of uh, useful things. So for instance, they have this little kind of, I don't know what you call it, like a cart-ish thing that can drive around a field and pick up things uh, that are thrown, like javelins. That's kind of helping around uh, humans uh, to do that. And yeah, so it's it's pretty nifty and obviously also a display of Japan's prowess with robotics. Um, and, uh, you know, as a roboticist, I found it pretty delightful and, and pretty fun. It's also their love of robots. They very much love robots there and welcome this type of technology more so than any other culture, I believe. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And actually, the leader of the Tokyo 2020 Robot Project actually said, quoted, that there's a unique opportunity to display Japanese robot technology. And they have some other things as well. So they have human and delivery support robots. Uh, and they have some... Um, uh, robots that are telepresence robots we use like large screens so not all ai based some of it is more uh, just remote control but in general there's a pretty substantial presence which is interesting yeah i love it i think it's very cute and very japanese <laughs> yeah Cool. And that's it for us this episode. If you've enjoyed our discussion of these stories, be sure to share and review the podcast. We'd appreciate it a ton. And now be sure to stick around for a few more minutes to get a quick summary of some other cool news stories from our very own newscaster, Daniel Bashir. Thanks, Andre and Sharon. Now I'll go through a few other interesting stories that haven't been touched on. Our first story comes from the research side. Given the increasing deployment of AI systems in high-stakes domains, explainability has become an issue of public concern. While it is generally agreed that the black box needs to be opened, the question of who should open that box 
has been underexplored. As Synced Review reports, a team from the Georgia Institute of Technology, Cornell University, and IBM Research conducted a study on how people with and without expert knowledge of AI perceive different types of AI explanations. The group with AI knowledge included students enrolled in CS programs and taking AI courses, while the non-AI group were recruited from Amazon Mechanical Turk. The researchers had three main findings. First, both groups had unwarranted faith in numbers, but the AI group had higher propensity to overtrust numerical representations and be misled by them. Second, both groups found different explanatory values beyond the usage the explanations were designed for. Finally, the two groups had different requirements concerning what counts as a human-like explanation. For our business story, transformer-based deep learning models like GPT-3 have been getting a great deal of attention in the machine learning world. And, as Mark TechPost points out, their understanding of semantic relationships has helped improve products like Microsoft Bing's search experience. But these models can fail to capture more nuanced relationships beyond semantics. A Microsoft team developed a neural network called Make Every Feature Binary, or MEB, with 135 billion parameters, nearly the size of GPT-3, to analyze queries that Bing users enter. MEB then helps identify the most relevant pages from the web with a set of other machine learning algorithms. The Bing team found that the addition of MEB to its search engine yielded a 2% increase in click-through rates and a more than 1% reduction in users rewriting queries because they didn't find any relevant results. And finally, our story on society this week goes into a different domain. As we develop AI systems that make decisions in contexts like medicine and criminal justice, many have pointed out that we'd like to avoid letting them make decisions based off of protected characteristics like race or gender. As radiologist and PhD candidate Luke Oakden Rayner and his colleagues found in a recent paper, AI systems can learn to identify the self-reported racial identity of patients to a very high degree of accuracy. Worryingly, AI systems do this when trained for clinical tasks and this ability to identify race generalizes. Even more concerningly, the authors couldn't work out exactly what the system was learning or how it did so. This work is very concerning and points to the vital need for work on interpretability for AI systems. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Skyna Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with even more content at skynetoday.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review if you like the show. Be sure to tune in when we return next week.